morning, Sun Valley Church, and welcome to another episode of The Voice of the Valley. I'm your host, Jeremy Pinch, and with me today I have John Delamarter, and I have Pastor John Schubert. And today we're going to be talking about why we sing on Sunday mornings. So to get this discussion uh, started, let's define worship. What is worship? Well, Jeremy, uh you know, as I was preparing for this podcast, I was thinking and reading about wor- that question, what is worship? And of course, we could have spent the entire podcast, maybe an entire series of podcasts on discussing what worship is um, because of the the extensive nature of worship. You know, in reality, we're created to worship. That's, that's the <laughs> central... Uh, point of our existence, um, you know the 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 Westminster Confession asked the question, you know what what is the the chief end of man? It's to glorify God <laughs> and enjoy Him forever, mm-hmm. and that's worship. That's really a very simple definition of worship: to glorify God and enjoy Him. And of course, that goes far beyond what your intent is here in this podcast to get into the idea of singing in corporate. Worship, you know that I know that's your focus, but I think it's important that we establish at least some foundational principles before we get into that aspect of of the podcast. Because I think so many people are confused about what worship is. They think, in fact, worship is the period of the worship service where you sing. The rest of it is not worship. It's mm-hmm. the preaching or the praying or the giving. In fact, worship encompasses all of life for the Christian. At least it should. In everything you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. It is, it is our specific design to worship God, to bring glory to Christ Jesus in and through our lives, in and through our relationships, including the Sunday morning worship service, including the preaching of the worship, in the worship service, so including every aspect of our lives as Christians. I mean, Isn't this what John said in Revelation um, chapter 5, that the ultimate end of all Christian experience is to surround the throne in heaven with every tribe, every language, every tongue, and worship God for eternity? That's that's where it's going to culminate. And, uh, of course, that includes even there worship in in the sense of singing. We're going to be singing around the throne. He records a song for us in Revelation, so we need to learn that song because we're going to be singing it when we get to heaven. But uh, it's it's an extensive it's an extensive discussion, and I know we can't get into all of it. But let me just mention a few things. Hebrews twelve talks about um, what it is what it's happening when we come into a corporate worship service. Uh, the author there says that we're joining a celestial chorus, where we're joining something that's already taking place in heaven. So when we gather as a as a Christian fellowship on Sunday mornings, we're simply checking in to a celestial worship service that's already in session and we're we're adding our voices. And if we believe scripture to be true, that's what's actually happening when we gather Sunday morning. And so uh, that's that's the first thing. The second thing is what Jesus said to um, the woman of Sychar in John 4. Uh, you know, he said the Father is gathering worshipers. That's that's what's going on here on this planet. That's what evangelism is about. That's what Jesus' ministry was about. That's what our lives are about, is to become good worshipers of, of Christ Jesus, of good worshipers of the Father. 
And so we do that. We, we, um, we learn Christ. We, we learn the scriptures. We, we express what we've learned through song, through, through prayer. Um, and so these are all important parts of worship. But I have some definitions for you because I, you asked the question, what is worship? According to um, uh, MacArthur, worship is ascribing to God the honor that is due him by declaring his glory in words and songs of praise. That is MacArthur's definition of corporate worship as it relates to singing. And of course, you know, all these systematic theologies that we have have their own little twist on that, but they all generally say the same kind of thing. Um, but, you know, to to begin the podcast by answering your question, I think, you know, that's a basic approach. And, and, and let me say this, too, because of, of the confusion that surrounds the term worship. A worship service is a strange title. Um, because when we gather there together as Christians, we're not serving God. Because Paul tells us in Acts 17 that God doesn't need our service um, and we don't serve him. And, and he says, um, God is not served by human hands. So we're, we're not gathering to serve God. So why do we call it a worship service? We call it a worship service because God is serving us. We're there to gain benefit from the presence of God. Uh, he ministers to us through word and sacrament. He ministers to us um, through the Holy Spirit, applying the word, um, uh, uh, enlivening the fellowship. The Holy Spirit is at work serving us in that context. And so when we gather Sunday morning, we're not there to, to um, give something to God that he's lacking, that he's needing. No, he's there. We're there because he, he has called us into his presence to serve us. And so this is, I think, a, a, a basic introduction to the questions you're asking. So, Pastor John, you've talked about um, how expansive the idea of worship is, and we could spend a lot of time talking about it. As a father, um, this is something that's been a source of conversation in our home a lot recently, actually. Um, and I'd like to go the other direction. I'd like to try to simplify it a little bit and try to capture its essence so we can kind of get our head around it. And I think worship in its essence is adoration. And you already said it, humans were created for worship. God made us to be worshiping creatures. And I would go further and say that everybody does worship. And those who don't worship the true God are idolaters. Well, they're worshiping something. That's right. We all yeah. worship, whether it be our jobs, our money, um, sex, success, however the world defines worship, we all worship something. Uh, Bob Coughlin, in his book, Worship Matters, he says, uh, it's about what and who we love more than anything. So it's, uh, it's important to acknowledge that, first of all, that all people are worshipers. So if worship is at its essence adoration, then um, worship is all about looking into the face of the living God. And so when we come together in corporate worship or we're in private worship, um, or if we come, to, come home at the end of a really hard work day, as we all do at times, and our, we know that our heart needs worship, it's really about um, opening the Word of God, whether alone or together, and recognizing uh, what we're seeing there, and we want to we want to feed on uh, the attributes of God, and that points back to MacArthur's definition of worship. We want to look into the face of Christ and and gaze on Him and adore Him for who and what He is. Hmm. So, 
worship isn't just um, singing songs on a Sunday morning, right? Well, of course not. It's it's. Uh, I mean, unfortunately, a lot of people think that's that's what it is. But right. um, and I think the church is prime is you know partly uh, at fault for that. But but worship is so much more than that, mm-hmm. as we've both said mm-hmm. already. It's it should encompass all of life. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, in fact, singing is really a a way that we respond to the greatness of God in our lives. If if worship is just singing, then we're not worshiping. Yeah. Because worship has to start in the heart. And it really is... Uh, Sunday morning is really an explosion of a week-long relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't have a relationship with Christ, then your Sunday morning participation uh, is um, massive hypocrisy. And I think we need to be careful of that. It's not just, okay, I'm going to do my own thing all week, and then I'm going to show up and, you know, sing a few songs, listen to a sermon, get bored and go home. Mm-hmm. That's not worship. Um, if, you're not in, if you're not walking with Christ in the week, you're not worshiping on Sunday morning. I don't care what you're saying or what you're doing. I don't care if tears are rolling down your cheek on Sunday morning. You're not worshiping if you're not walking with Christ during the week. Mm. It's impossible. I think another reason it's important to think of worship as adoration is because it enables us to see the entire time we spend together on Sunday morning as worship. So from from the call to worship to the final blessing, um, it's either our hearts directed together directly to Christ, singing his praises, um, speaking truth in the scriptures that we read, or when we sit under teaching, we are being taught who God is, right? And we're being given an opportunity to hear who he is and adore who he is. And so I think I think it's good to talk about all these elements of worship, but it's also good to remember at its essence what it really is. Right. So the Psalms are um, to focus more now on, on the aspect of singing, um, the Psalms are, are chock full of commands, uh, to sing, to lift your voices, to praise God. Um, you know, Psalm 95, Psalm 96, Psalm 98, uh, Psalm 149. Psalm one through 150. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seriously. It's, 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 it's almost every Psalm is saying, sing to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, well, every Psalm is a song. Yeah. That's why they were written. Right. Right. I mean, they're prayers slash songs. That's, that's. It is the it is the canonical songbook. Yeah, yeah. So why why is it our response to sing when we come in contact with God? And I think I think you've kind of touched on this, John Delamarner. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think you've already touched on this. But why what why is our response to sing when we come in contact with God? Well, singing is our best attempt. <laughs> it's our best attempt as humans to express with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and our bodies, the joyous realities of being forgiven. Uh, loved, cherished, adopted, protected by the triune God. So we have a human response when we worship, regardless of what we worship. If you go to a Seahawks game and you're part of the 12th man and you're trying to break the decibel record, um, that's worship. I mean, when you watch people's reaction to something that they really love, if you... Uh, if you're on vacation and you're staying at the Grand Canyon, you're taking lots of pictures and you just you just can't believe it and you're sending them to everybody you know, you're like, hey, look at this. This blows my mind. Um, and so when we sing, um, 
and everybody's a little different. Personality is a little different. I don't mean to imply that everybody feels precisely the same way. But singing is a way that we can physically respond to the adoration aspect of worship. Yeah. Uh, John Piper, in his awesome book, Desiring God, uh, talks about this. Um, and in fact, that book really is what started me thinking uh more deeply on the concept of worship. Uh, I read that when it first came out, you know, 30 years ago or whenever it came out. And he said in there, and this isn't a, a quote, but it's it's an, the idea. Uh, he said that an emotion is completed by the release of expression. Mm-hmm. And so and it's kind of what you said, John, when you're at a Seahawk game, what do you do when they score? You yell and you scream and you cheer. And you don't care what people think. No, because everybody's doing it around you. Right. Um, and and that's, it's a release of, it's a completion of the emotion. When you see Mount Rainier, um, you know, when, you, when you're driving up Highway 410 and you turn that corner up there by the lake up at the top and you see Mount Rainier, just that massive, beautiful mountain, mm-hmm. You, you you gasp almost. Mm-hmm. You you if you're with somebody in the car, you say, "Look at that!" Mm-hmm. And it is a completion of your enjoyment. It's a completion of your emotion. Is to respond. Is to express. And so, when we come into the presence of God, corporately or privately, we we are responding to. We're completing that experience by singing, by praising, by praying. And so it's, it is uh, a natural, God-designed response to what we're experiencing, to sing. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we respond to the truths of Scripture. We respond to the truths of God in Christ. And so Wor- Worship is antiphonal in nature, right? I, I, if you look at the Psalms, there's some psalms that are very, very obviously that way, right? You have a, you have someone who's clearly leading. There's a refrain. Uh, the most, the one we are most familiar with probably is for his steadfast love endures forever. And so, if you think about what you were just saying about a response, as I've been married for 25 years and I love my wife very much, and so if I experience something wonderful that I'm excited about, that joy is not complete until I've expressed it to my wife, until it's been shared. As Christians in corporate worship. There's an element that we get there that we're never going to get in private worship. Private worship is absolutely essential, but that's the little rivulet, the tiny stream that flows into the raging torrent where we all come together on Sunday morning, and as Pastor John already said, join that worship that never ceases 24-7, 365 around the throne of God. I think you said something important, John, about um, the difference in priority between uh, corporate and private worship. Mm-hmm. Uh, this really isn't part of your question, Jeremy, but it's an important issue that relates to the subject matter. Um, David Clarkson wrote, who was, a, who was a student of John Owen, wrote a wonderful little um, essay, I guess you'd call it, uh, about God's preference between private and corporate worship. And he takes Psalm 86.2 as his jumping off point, which says God prefers the songs of Zion more than the tents of Judah Hmm. or the tents of Jacob. The point is, and Clarkson's point was, God prefers it when we gather 
even though there is a, a, a critically important necessity of private worship, because it is, a, it is that small tributary that leads into the Amazon. That's, so that's critical. But as far as God is concerned, he would much rather have us together in corporate worship, praising and worshiping him, joining our voices, than he does having us privately worship. And I think that's a really important corrective, especially in our current culture, because um, American evangelicalism, and I think even within Reformed churches, we've been a little more infected by this than we realize, and we need to be, we need to be cognitive of the fact that we're influenced by our culture. This whole idea that um, of self-identity, this whole idea of um, I'm going to do it the way that works for me, and hey, what works for you works for you, what works for me works for me. Um, the element of corporate worship and coming together in a way that's pleasing to God and in accordance with the way he's called out worship in his word, I think, is, compl- is very critical. So we sing, a, we sing a lot of old songs at Sun Valley, um, and they can be hard to understand. Um, but why is it important that we sing, sing these songs that make us think or make us pause and say, what in the world did I just sing? Well, first of all, we need to sing songs in English. I need, you need to work on that, Jeremy, so that we can understand the words better. Uh, no, but I hear what you're saying. Uh, and partly, you know, the fact that there are some older songs that, that have these and thous in it and so forth, uh, uh, it seems like a lot of those older songs... Um, do a better job at wrestling with the depths of God than some of our more contemporary songs. And, I, and I'm not saying I'm not opposed to contemporary songs. I think there's some great contemporary songs which we sing at our church. But but uh, <clears throat> overall, I mean, and, and I think that that some of the more contemporary songs are are gaining ground in this in this department. Yeah. But for the most part, over the past 20 years, uh, we've had to revert to the older hymns. And rewrite the tunes so that they're more palatable for us. Um, but we've had to revert to those lyrics um, because of the 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 dearth of depth of our of our current songwriters. Uh, at least in the last twenty years. Currently, I think. I mean, like in the last ten years, I think there's been a great improvement in yeah, the Christian world. But before that, I mean, we had a Maranatha song or two that was decent. <laughs> but for the most part, it was just repetitious, man-centered, worthless, really, mm-hmm. singing. Um, and so we had to revert to some of those those classic songs of the faith that had been sung for, you know, centuries because of the lyrics, they, they reflected scripture and scripture's view of God and a God-centeredness that that we lacked, you know, for the longest time in, in modern Christianity. And so that's why we do it here, because uh, they're, they're a, a really a, a Christian legacy that we don't want to lose. Because, and the reason we don't want to lose it is because it reflects scripture. It, uh, the, many of the songs that we sing, if not all the songs we sing, reflect um, the teaching of Scripture concerning the character of God, and that's what we want to do. We and so that I think that's our standard, isn't it? To to look at the lyrics, examine them uh, uh, against our understanding of of what 
the scriptures teach about Christ, about the Father, about the Holy Spirit, uh, about the, our life with Christ. And if, and if it lines up, we sing it. We learn the tune if we don't know it, or we rewrite the tune so it's more singable. But that's what we do for that reason. Yeah, I think the, the overarching difference that I see between the old classic hymns of the church and some of the ones from the last 20 years, as you mentioned, um, is the focus. The old hymns in general, at least the ones that have survived well, that we continue to sing, are ones that very much focus on the Holy One. Um, modern songwriting, and this is, um, is particularly, well, modern songwriting uh, for the church tends to focus on how we feel, what our experience is, what Jesus can do for me today. And those things matter. They do. There's a place for those songs. Um, you know, like the current song is playing on the radio right now, In the Eye of the Storm. It's a wonderful song. It talks about where we are right now. But it immediately flips it back around on Christ. And so the best songs... But that's the difference. That's right. The ones that really feed the souls, feed our souls, are the ones that focus on Christ. And I would also say um, that one of the reasons I think it's so important to sing the classic hymns of the church is because it ties us to those who have gone before. It When I sing a hymn that's 400, 500 or more years old, and I'm singing the same songs that those who have gone before me have sung, those songs that are based in the truths of Scripture, it ties me to them in a very tenable way. So when I'm singing those songs, sometimes I'm very conscious that my forebears, my Christian forebears, have sung these songs before me. And the truth that sustained them through all the things that they went through, through all the dark times, all their highs and lows, are the exact same truths that will sustain us and my children and those who follow until Christ returns. And those truths are the very same truths that are being celebrated around God's throne right now. And we will continue to celebrate for all of eternity. Well, like it is well with my soul, our friend yeah. Horatio. Yeah. You know, he, he, he went through some amazingly deep and dark waters. Mm -hmm. and, and his literally. soul, literally... Yeah. Uh, his soul went to Scripture for encouragement, mm -hmm. which resulted in song, in one of our favorite songs. It yeah. is well with my soul. Yeah, you know, and and what mostly is well with my soul is the fact that it is resting in Christ, right. and that was the point of that song. And so he put uh, words to paper and tune to words, and we love that song. We sing it, and it me is meaningful because it's true. Even of us, even though we haven't lost four daughters at sea, mm -hmm. you know, we go through dark times as well. And that song reminds us of our secure place in Christ. And so I think what we're saying, uh, Jeremy, about the question is that the, the reason that we sing older songs, and, and, and it's not just older songs, I'm going to make sure we I'll say that, but the reason, I mean, to answer your question, the reason we sing older songs is because most of those older songs are true. And, we, and as Jesus said to the woman at Sychar in John 4, he's seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and truth. <laughs> it's truth yeah, yeah. that draws us to worship. Well, and the best songs, whether it be the old ones or the new ones, are the ones that are thick with the attributes and glories of God. Yeah. Thinking about you know some of the modern stuff you're talking about, you got Bob Coughlin, Stuart Town, and the Gettys. Think about songs like "How Deep the Father's Love," "In Christ Alone," "O Church Arise," "The Power of the Cross." I mean, these are these are wonderfully thick, just theologically thick, scripturally thick songs. And if you're a Christian who loves the Lord and to any degree knows the attributes of God and knows the Bible, there should be something that when you sing those songs that should just absolutely resonate with your heart and should 
be healing to your soul and balm to your soul and and uh, draw your heart out even deeper into worship. Yeah, I see these. I see these older songs that we sing as we you know look through the lyrics. There's this beautiful flow from you know our sinfulness and then the culmination, and then there's the gospel in between. You know, I, I'm a I'm a fallen sinful human being, walk me through the gospel, and then there's going to be that glorious culmination where we're going to be around the throne room, as you were saying, John, um, where we're singing the mm-hmm. praises of Christ. For eternity. Yeah. It's a beautiful, a lot of those older hymns, there's just that beautiful gospel picture and and the gospel message as a whole, dead in sin, alive in Christ, and will be with him for eternity. Um, so... Yeah, hopefully that's an encouragement to you. And I want to finish with this. This is this is going to be our our last question for the day, um, and this is more directed towards towards the men uh, in our church. Um, can masculinity get in the way of our emotions when it comes to singing? No, it can't. But no, but a wrong view of masculinity can. 20, 21st century, yeah, exactly. Twenty first century manhood is a farce. It's a hypersexualized, over the top, over the top response to radical feminism and secular humanism. And we overcome this by turning to scripture uh, for a godly picture of manhood. David may have been the manliest man Israel ever produced. I mean, as a young man, he killed lions and bears in hand to hand combat. Uh, his exploits in and violence. Yeah, they're absolutely, his exploits are absolutely thrilling, yet he's the sweet psalmist of Israel. Uh, the largest book in the Bible, it's poetry and it's music, and it's written by argu- arguably the manliest man in the Bible. So if that's true, man, uh, you know, biblical manhood is not disconnected from emotion. It's not stoic. It's not afraid of tears. True biblical manhood uh, knows how to worship precisely because it knows how to adore from a full harp, heart. Um, Worship's not all about emotions. Sometimes it, it has to happen even when we're feeling kind of dead inside. But godly biblical worship has this amazing, uncanny ability to access our emotions when seemingly nothing else will. Well, yeah, and uh, what, what is the point of, of masculinity? Scriptural point. It's to it's reflect leadership, God. yeah. Right? And so it, when, you, when we tie that into worship, the, the masculinity that God has given um, the male side of the race is purposely designed to be a vehicle to lead the family, lead the church in emotion-filled, truth-filled worship. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't, I don't think that that biblical masculinity uh, really has anything to do with um, restricting or, or you know, inhibiting you know biblical worship yeah. it, it should be it should be the the very thing that 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 prompts the local church and the and our local christian families into the presence of god mm-hmm. if in, indeed it is leadership that is tied to masculinity which i think it, biblically it is well and fear of man is what drives a lot of this right we fear what other people think but the antidote to fear of man is a proper fear of god right well and a view of christ yeah so and gaze and an intentional gazing on the crucified uh, resurrected living christ pulls everything else in the right perspective and it makes it okay for us to feel to breathe to be you know sometimes um, uh, in my shepherd a pastoral view i look around during the worship service and just look at people see what's going on mm-hmm. in their hearts and 
And whenever I see someone who's not really engaged in the singing, I pray for them. Because yeah. I, I think that that is an outward demonstration of the heart, uh, of, the, of an inward problem. Not that you have to be, you know, you know, uh, you know, with your head rolling back and just belting it out. I mean, some people aren't designed that way, but I think singing is a is a God designed, God given um, method of responding to biblical truth about God. And people say, "Well, I, I just not a singer. I don't have a good voice." You don't have to have a good voice. Joyful noise, right? joyful noise. Exactly. My dad always used to say that. My dad can't carry a tune in a bucket and yet he sings out and it's and it's if you're near him it's distracting um, but he loves it and and I think it's a it's a wonderful example to those who who really aren't gifted singers well it's such an encouragement to the worship team too when you're up front and you're leading worship and you see people really engaged in worship um, it is such an encouragement it makes you want to sing harder it makes you it, it actually when we're leading worship sometimes and I see somebody engaged in worship, it helps me get more focused on the worship aspect of what we're doing on the platform instead of just singing. Well, you know, if, if you're one who who isn't really into singing for whatever reason that you've made up in your mind or justified in your mind, uh, think about this. What do you think you're going to be doing for all of eternity? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, one of the things that the Bible tells us we'll be doing is singing the praises of the Lamb. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so you better start practicing now. <laughs> well, I don't think we'll have any trouble at that point, honestly. I mean, when we're when we're in the You're presence ruining of the living point, Christ. John. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, but it's good to practice now. Yeah. Amen. Well, friends, we look forward to singing with you this Sunday as we gather uh, to worship with one another. Uh, we pray that this podcast has been a benefit to you. And uh, we look forward to being with you on Sunday and next week as we come back together on The Voice of the Valley. We love you, Sun Valley Church. 